morning. <laughs> I'm not going to say it this time, Pat. <laughs> it's so nice. nicer to you than <laughs> You wake them up with the song. It's, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, I have a really important announcement in case anybody wanted to know. My birthday is in two and a half weeks. <laughs> Just in case anybody wanted There's to know. There's a GoFundMe page. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, is your birthday before mine? Yes, it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Pat's birthday is coming first. <laughs> should I should I ask how old Pat's going to be? <laughs> Just kidding. I won't yeah, do that. <laughs> no, because then you'll ask how old I'm going to be, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> All right. So, our announcements. So the production team is looking for people who can assist with operating cameras, stage lighting design, mixing sound for services, and PowerPoint presentations. Um, no experience is needed. I guess Sean will train you. So if you're interested in volunteering, you can find Sean, or I think there's a sign up in the front in there. And then, as always, our ladies' Bible study is every Thursday morning on Zoom or Thursday evening in person. If you haven't signed up yet, you can sign up on the website or at the ministry, ministry table in the front. Our children's ministry is open. Children of all ages are welcome. Um, we are also in need of volunteers. So if you want to hang out with some kids and have some fun and teach them about the Lord, please sign up. Um, and then Tuesday morning men's group will meet Tuesday at 9 a.m. The Friday evening men's group will continue Fridays at 6.30 p.m. And our midweek Bible study with Manny is always posted this Wednesday online. And that's it. Good morning. Good morning. Well, if you turn your Bibles to Psalm 121, Psalm 121. And before I read that, though, really quickly, 122 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. How awesome is that? And some of you probably saw that we weren't here last week, but we were able to fellowship at our son's uh, church. It was just awesome. It was a great time of fellowship, my wife and I, and all, but you know, there's something about your home church, you know, Gold River, Philadelphia church. <clears throat> we just love it here. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. yes. I'm still, I'm taking gifts at all. <laughs> Psalm 121. Let's stand for the uh, reading of the word. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will, ne will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the, sun, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the assurance of your word. Lord, that you are there for us, Lord. You would never leave us nor forsake us. And we thank you, Lord, because we are your children, Lord, that we can go to you lord because you are our source of help you are our refuge you are our fortress you are our rock we praise you and we thank you father god 
And Lord, we now pray, Lord, for the, the gifts of these offerings and all, Lord, that you would use it to glorify yourself, Lord, and, and to use it for your kingdom, Lord. We are just so blessed that we can even serve at this capacity, Lord, that just giving is a worship that we do. So, Father God, we ask, Lord, for your purpose and your will, Lord, as you take our resources, Lord, as your gift. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
voices.
all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, you can stand and uh, socially distance greet each other. Missed you too, brother. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. There's so much joy in this house. It's so awesome. So, uh, how you guys doing? So, I have three points this morning. Well, it's going to be up to you to figure out where they are. <laughs> Point number one, God is always good. Always good. We say God is good. No, he is always good. Point number two, we are pilgrims, sojourners, alien and aliens, Alienated aliens on this planet. Point number three. But we are his pilgrims, his sojourners, in his good hand. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll get into this this morning. Gracious Lord, we praise you and thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your great grace and mercy, Lord, that we can rely upon you for everything that we need. We can trust you that you are good, you are always good. Lord, we put our lives, our hearts, our minds, our souls into your hands because of your love for us because of the sacrifice that your son made for us, that we can now come to you with grateful hearts. We can 
study your word, and know that it is absolutely true. Oh, how I rely on your word, Lord, each and every day, going to your word, looking for you again and again and again and finding you over and over and over and being amazed at how awesome you are. Your holiness is so great that I can just meditate and bask and marinate in your word, Lord. I pray that for each and every person here today, watching online, that we can all be one, united in Christ, going to your holy word, fellowshipping with one another, grateful for all that you do in our lives. Lord, I pray right now that you would guide and direct everything that we do this morning as we study your word, that you're by your Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me and that your truth would go forth in power by your spirit. Lord, I praise you for all of these things, and I thank you, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's children said, amen, amen. amen. So last week, we witnessed in uh, Genesis 46 the great divine reunion of Jacob and his son, Joseph. Joseph had, by that time, actually before that time, he had figured everything out as far as where his family would live in Egypt. We noted that Joseph had prepared a place for them. And that reminded us that Jesus has prepared a place for us. But Jesus' place is better. It's way better than Egypt, I can tell you that. It's way better than Sacramento, actually. <laughs> Jesus' place is eternal. Jesus' place is magnificent. And so now, the whole family, the whole Jacob clan is in Egypt. And it's time now for Jacob to meet Pharaoh. That gets us to Genesis chapter 47 and verse 1. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. We're going to come back to that last little sentence in a bit. They are now in the land of Goshen. So Joseph is working the situation with Pharaoh. I love how we just can see him work Pharaoh. Verse 2, And from among his brothers, from among Joseph's brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. He took five. I think maybe he picked the best five. Maybe some of those guys were not that smart. <laughs> maybe, you know, he knew his brothers and he sort of figured, well, I don't want that brother. <laughs> that would not be putting our best face forward, right? Have you ever had a brother like that? <laughs> no, I don't have any brothers, so I can say that. Maybe they had personality problems. I don't know. 
He selects the five best brothers, I think. He doesn't tell us who they are. Verse 3, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. So they replied to Joseph, and Joseph had coached them. Verses 4 through 6, they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Well, they're already there. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. That's verse 6. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Pharaoh gives them the best of the land of Egypt. It's pretty amazing. And he, part of this is that there, in Goshen, they would be separated from the Egyptians. Very important point. Separated from the pagan culture of Egypt. Separated from worshiping false gods and idols. You know, I mean, we know that these people, like most of us, maybe all of us, are easily influenced, aren't we? We're easily influenced. What are we influenced by? Just tons of stuff. I mean, the enemy is busy working on influencing us constantly. The culture, we call it. That's such a gentle term. I see it as just a brood of enemies out there. I really do. I mean, the heart of it, it just festers out there. And the Israelites, if you read the Scripture, read the Old Testament, you find that they were always straying and worshiping anybody but the true and living God. I mean, read the book of Judges. It just is like, oh, no, not again, and again, and again, and again. Well, it's just the same today. They're continually being swept away and sucked up. It's like this big sucking thing. <laughs> this pagan culture, you know. I mean, it's just this, oh. It's like a black hole. Don't get near it. And they're just living in that. And Joseph is smart. He's doing God's will. God is directing Joseph. He wants to separate his people, people from all of that. He wants to put them in the land of Goshen. God is creating a separation. In the men's study Friday night, Pastor Wade gave a, a, a really, really excellent message on, I don't know what he called it, but I called it, be different. Be different. Enjoy being different. You're different because of Jesus in your life. Be different. 
separation. Separation. We'll talk about that. It's this great theme in Genesis. This great theme. God's chosen people are called to be His people, to maintain a, a distinctness, a difference from all of those out there that are swept up in something else. We're called to maintain a distinctness. It's actually a separation. Two aspects to it as I was thinking about it. There's, there's a physical aspect. That's why he puts them physically in Goshen. So there's a physicalness about it. And then there's a spiritual aspect as well. And sometimes we just think, you know, I'll be spiritual, but I'll go somewhere I shouldn't go. No, no, no. There's a physicalness and there's a spiritualness about it. We're to live like this. We're, we're to live so that we're keeping our eyes on Jesus, the eyes of our heart. That's how we're to live. It should be in us a constant yearning to see Jesus, the eyes of our heart, the steady, constant desire in our coming, just welling up from our inner being. And for most of us, it really means to take care of who we associate with, what we watch on TV or the internet, or where we go, and so on and so on. Now, it doesn't mean that we should act weird <laughs> or stupid. I mean, there's enough of that out there already. It means that we're to live a life where we're discerning and knowing the good from the bad. It sounds simple. Separating ourselves from evil, not isolating, but spiritually separating us ourselves. It's a distinctness. It's a distinct life. It's as best as I can explain it. But let me say this, the presence, our presence on this earth and in this culture is very important to God. Very important. He wants us to be what? Salt and light. Well, you can't be salt and light if you're not here physically. It's a tall order, isn't it? To be salt and light in this dark world? Well, I might offend that person if I say I'm a follower of Jesus, you know. So we're constantly battling all of that, trying to be someone who doesn't offend to the point of turning them off to Jesus, but sometimes it is offensive. That's what Jesus said. Jesus went farther than that. He said, they're going to hate you. Thanks, Manny. That was from your message. <laughs> Be distinct. It's a tall order. Be salt. Be light. 
and do all of that, not in mean-spiritedness, but in love. Do it in love. Without love, what is it? It's a clanging whatever Paul says, right? It's a lot of work to do, brothers and sisters. It's a lot of work. If we don't do this, if we're kind of like half in the culture and half over here and somewhere else, and what does James 1.8 say? It says you become double-minded. And double-mindedness makes us unstable in all our ways. We lose who we really are. We're most human when we're in Jesus, when we're in Christ. I just find it exasperating. I just, it's just been so on my heart. Why someone would not want to be in Christ? I, I just, I'm just so wrestling with that. So would you pray for me? <laughs> give, me some, give me some insight. Give me some wisdom, Lord, for all of those that I love and know and don't want to be in Christ. I don't know. It's a big one. It's a real big one for me. Actually, remember Jesus was talking to a very religious man, wasn't he? And uh, explaining to him the truth of the gospel. And he didn't get it. And <laughs> Jesus said, well, you're not going to get it until you're born again. So I'm just praying that, as we just sang, where, you know, everyone will call out the name of Jesus. Everyone. Then I won't be exasperated anymore. It's like, to me, I just like the greatest party in the world when that happens. It's going to happen. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. So, brothers and sisters, be in the world, but not of the world. Be in Goshen, but not of Egypt. Christians, it's, I read this one thing, it says Christians are, are like a ship traveling a great ocean, a great ocean of life. Just don't let your ship take in water. Because eventually if you do, your ship will sink. Joseph knew this. Joseph was one of those rare individuals that could, in fact, live deeply into a culture that was pagan and lost and dark and not be affected by it. In fact, he grew closer and stronger in the Lord. That's a rare person. That's rare. He knew. He didn't want Egypt to seep into the heart of his people. 1 Peter 1 says, verse 16, Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Whew. That's a convicting verse for me. Be holy. That's a, that's a command. Be holy, for I am holy. Being holy means we're set apart. We're reflecting God's character at all times. So that's the first point. Did you guys get that? That's the first point. God is good. I don't know how I got God is good out of that, but he is good. He is really good. The Christian life is a life of separation 
but at the same time, involvement for Jesus. Separation and involvement. And God has separated the Israelites here in this chapter from the Egyptians. Verse 7, Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I've, I've just loved this verse this week. It's this moment of great formality. You know, he's going in to the king, the great king of that time in that place. It says that Jacob, his father, and Joseph stood him before Pharaoh. He stood him before him, presenting him to Pharaoh. It's an audience with the king. Pharaoh was a god to the Egyptians. He literally was considered the earthly embodiment of their sun god, Ra. So this old, poor, disheveled, old shepherd, an occupation that Egyptians despised, by the way, stands before Pharaoh. But he doesn't just stand before Pharaoh. What does he do? He blesses him. So all the glitz and the glamour and the splendor and the majesty of all being the Pharaoh doesn't intimidate Jacob at all. He stands and he lifts his hands and he blesses Pharaoh as though he knew that he was the greater of the two. His blessing had more power. His blessing on Pharaoh had more significance than all of the earthly goods that Pharaoh gave to Jacob and his family. And Jacob was very aware of the great physical blessings, the material blessings that Pharaoh had bestowed upon them. Huge. But Jacob's blessing is conveying something else, something greater. His, his blessing is conveying the favor of Almighty God. That's really being salt and light. To go to the king of that culture and bless him Almighty God's blessing. That's so huge. I don't know what Pharaoh thought about that. I think, personal opinion, I think Pharaoh was stunned by that. I doubt that he'd ever experienced anything like that. He experienced probably the opposite of bowing down and being careful around him and, you know, you don't want to get your head whacked off or something. But Jacob, he's just blessing him. And I think that stunned Pharaoh. I think he's more than a little surprised. <clears throat> I don't think he quite knows what to do at that moment. And so this is what he says. Verse 8, Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years 
of your life. In other words, he's looking at this 130-year-old shepherd going, how old are you? <laughs> it's like, the, it's, the, it's what pops into his head. How old are you? Such a strange question. I mean, it's like the sight of this very ancient, grizzled, time-worn shepherd standing there blessing him. I just love that. I just, that's just so how God works, isn't it? We see that throughout the scriptures. Jesus did it all the time in various ways. Standing in front of the Pharisees, standing in front of Herod, standing on and on and always in one way or another, either blessing or cursing them. Jacob must have looked really old. That's all I can think of. It's a hard life out there as a shepherd. So now Jacob answers the question. He says, verse 9, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my father's in the days of their pilgrimage. Jacob says this, some fascinating things here. He says, first thing he says is, my life is a pilgrimage. My life is a pilgrimage. It's like each day is just about trudging forward step by step by step. The days of the years of my pilgrimage, he says, are 130 years. That's how he views his life. His life has been a pilgrimage, a sojourn. There's kind of like a, a rootlessness about him. He sees himself as an alien, as a temporary resident on this planet. I love how David clarifies this for us so beautifully. In Psalm 39, verse 12, he says, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. David saying that he too considered himself a sojourner and also a guest on this planet. But here's the key part of that verse. I hope you'll underline this part of the verse. Yeah, he's a sojourner and he's a guest and he's all that. But, he says, with you, with God. He's a sojourner and he's a guest, but he's not alone. It says, for I am a sojourner with you, my Lord. It's true of Jacob as well. And I pray it's true for us. You don't want to be a sojourner or a pilgrim on this planet by yourself. You want to be with your Lord. Then Jacob says this, another, this strange thing. He says, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. He's saying life has been really, really hard. He says, my life has just been short and hard. 
I mean, he's a little bit of a crybaby, and he always has been. But he, he's seeing the truth at the same time. He's, he's saying, I, I've seen a lot of evil in my life. A lot of evil. And that evil just distresses me. Just distresses me. I, I find myself agreeing with Jacob, even to the crybaby part. I'm kind of there with him a lot of times. He knows that he's been blessed by God. He knows that. He's had incredible encounters with, encounters with God, knowing that God is blessing him and keeping him and going before him and strengthening him, sending legions of angels to protect. I mean, all of that. He knows all of that. And he still says, my life has been hard. I've seen a lot of evil. Well, you can't be on this planet and not see evil. Evil's everywhere. He says, my life is hard and short. Now, he's 130 years old, and he's not dead yet. He's got 17 more years to go. All of that, even in the midst of the blessings of God, You're never going to have your best life here, regardless of that awful book that was printed a couple of years ago. <laughs> Jesus comforts us in this, though. We go to Jesus when we find out it's hard, brothers and sisters. We go to Jesus. What does he say? In this world, you're going to have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is our living hope. And so the meeting has ended. Verse 10, almost. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. <laughs> I love that. He says, Jacob has this monumental entrance, and now he's exiting and instead of bowing deeply before the great Pharaoh, what does he do? He lifts up his hands and blesses him again. He asks for God's blessing. He asks for God's blessing on the king, for his kindness, his generosity to his own family. From the point of view of the world, the lesser, meaning Jacob, is blessing the greater. But from God's point of view, Jacob is the greater, and he is the one who can offer the greatest blessing of all, the blessing from God. He acts like a man who's seen and heard the Lord. He musters up the Spirit of God in him. The spirit, his spirit has been revived, remember, a couple chapters ago? And so he acts like a man who's seen the Lord, who's heard from the Lord directly, more than once. A man who has the presence of the Lord about him. The hope of the Lord, the power of the Lord. He's not acting on his own. A blessing he offers 
from the Lord. Verse 11. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. So they all settle. These children of Israel settle in Goshen, and it's the beginnings of a great nation of Israel, isn't it? Joseph is just, I just love how he works all of this. He's just this master politician and also a saint, a man of God, a man who's given his life to God. But there's this, it's the rare combination, rare. He's a man who knew how to get what he wanted, but he knew how to get what he wanted in the right way. He never varied from God at all in any circumstance, whether he was in the pit or whether he was in the prison or whether or whatever. He was attuned to how others think. He hears. He, hear, he heard people. He, he processed it. He understood. He listened. He thought about how Pharaoh thought about things. He, he must have studied Pharaoh a lot, studied him. How did Pharaoh think? What, what, what was Pharaoh's rationalities? What was his irrationalities? How did he think about things? How did he see things? What were his prejudices? He had to know all of that because the politics of the Nile and Egypt were rough and tumble and a tough political world. But through all of that, Joseph maintained himself in the Lord and ran that whole world, that whole world. You know, politicians come and go. Kind of wish they'd go more than they come, but, you know, <laughs> some have... They're such an easy mark, aren't they? And, but some politicians, they have a knack just knowing how to deal with politics. And some of them are so good at it that they seem to always just come out unscathed. It's like they could just about do anything. Some may even rise once in a great while to the level of being a statesman, not just a politician. That's rare too. And then there's others that have a knack where they're always on the wrong side of everything. And then there are others that just seem to be able to create like a political landscape, you know? And they do it in such a way that they, they're always well-positioned. And I think that was Joseph. Joseph just got it. He understood. And he had the help of the Lord constantly, obviously. He was this master politician and master planner and master administrator. Master of timing. Timing is everything in these things. And so his life just shows us that you can be shrewd and not necessarily lose your connection with God. He's a rare, rare, rare man. You can just 
study his life and be amazed at how he lived his life and the circumstances that he lived in. God put him in just the right place at just the right time. Pharaoh gives the, this, all this great land, Goshen, to the people of Israel. And Goshen was a very fertile land, right on the fringes, if, it were, if you will, of Egyptian society. And he, he knew, Joseph knew that Pharaoh wasn't a fan of shepherds. And so he's very careful how he introduces his family. All shepherds, he says to Pharaoh. They're all shepherds. And he got what he wanted with a masterpiece of diplomacy. <laughs> really good. Not only that, but when he talked to Pharaoh, he said his family was already in Goshen. And then he asked for permission. I like that. That's good. A fait accompli. And he kept his five brothers right on point. And then amazingly, even though Pharaoh didn't care for shepherds, Pharaoh goes far beyond that, lets them reside in, in Goshen, and then he actually offers them jobs, government jobs, you know. It's like, have some good men watch my herds. And he's going to really reward them for that. It's way more than Joseph asked for. It's just like boundless favor, free land, the best land. I, I just, it's amazing to me. The government, and you get government jobs if you want them. So now Joseph's family is just incredibly well provided for there. The best land in Egypt. In the midst this is for us now, in the midst of a worldwide famine. It was not all rosy out there. It was really tough. God's taken care of his people. God proper, prospers his people amid this huge famine. I, just to share with you, I, <clears throat> I see God doing this right in this church, right in this church. There's a great spiritual famine out there, and here we are. Here we are. And at the same time, there's this worldwide pandemic, and yet here we are. He has guided us to this place. He has said, you are my people, and I'm going to put you in a great place for worship, a great place for spiritual prosperity in the midst of what's going on in this world. People have come up to me even recently. I ha had an encounter with an old friend of mine who's first time he'd been out to lunch in a year. And um, he said it was like the worst year of his life, you know. And he's, he's up in his 80s, and he said, I don't have that many years to go. And I don't like losing a year. And he says, how about you? I said, it's been the best year of my life. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that to you. 
but it's because of the blessings that Jesus has done in my life, in our lives. This is like the greatest blessing in the midst of an incredible famine. (laughs) Praise the Lord. God is true to his word. He's not only prospering the people of Israel, but he also prospers Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. It's just amazing. God in his, is so true to his word. He told Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, he said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Which side of that one do you want to be on? He blesses the people of Egypt because Pharaoh blessed them. So awesome. Verse 13, now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. Verse 14, and Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Here's what's amazing about that verse. So many things, but Joseph gets all this money and he immediately brings it to Pharaoh. Okay? That's a trustworthy man. Very trustworthy. He's an honest man. I mean, few people have that level of honesty where he has basically no accountability. He is the boss other than Pharaoh. But he resists the temptation. Just another indicator of of what a great man Joseph was. This rare integrity. Integrity is just like this lost word, isn't it? Hmm. It's a man of consistent integrity. Verse 15, And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt, and in the land of Canaan, and all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. And so they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. So he has these great stores of grain, and they they gave him their money and their livestock until their money was gone, and then their money's gone, and now... It's all in Pharaoh's coffers, all of this stuff. Verse 18. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes Both we and our land, buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. And so Joseph bought 
all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's, and for the people he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. So he nationalizes the land and the livestock and turns everyone into a serf or basically like a tenant farmer for Pharaoh. Essentially, Pharaoh owns all. He owns all of the people, all of the land, except the pagan clergy, of course. In a word, Pharaoh was incredibly blessed. He's super rich. But at the same time, all of Egypt does prosper. It survives. It survives through this famine. It's like, it's the sovereign comprehensiveness of God. Verse 23, Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field and as the food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. Verse 25, And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. And so Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that the Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. So Joseph saves Egypt through this. Yeah, they paid 20%. I think that's a pretty good deal. (laughs) I don't know about you, but have you added up how much tax you guys pay? That's a lot more than 20%. Historians tell us, actually, even for that time, it was relatively low. I mean, there are places in that time where they would take as much as 60% of their taxable goods. So it's a kind of a benign serfdom, I guess. Money from the ancient world pours into the coffers of Egypt during the famine. The economy of Egypt stays strong, and everyone in Egypt was fed. No one complains. I mean, you'd have to be pretty desperate to, put your, to be in that situation and say, yeah, you can own me, right? They were desperate. Joseph is a national hero. You've saved our lives. And it's all in the depths of this great famine. But what's amazing is this tiny, call it an expatriate Israel, is prospering. Amazing. Verse 27, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. It's a lesson in God's ability to keep and prosper his people, isn't it? Even in the midst of really hard times. Actually, the prosperity of the Israelites was even greater than that of the Egyptians. They go down into Egypt and they had very little, and now they're prospering. They're prospering. 
And they not only did they gain possessions, but it says they were fruitful and they greatly multiplied their number during the famine. Just this huge growth in that whole group and would continue for 400 years. And then, of course, the Egyptians wanted to get rid of them, and that's a whole different story for another time. But what it is is that this time in Egypt, it's not a time of interruption of God's purposes. God has a plan throughout this whole thing. It's really, I think of it as kind of like an incubation of of the people of Israel. It's a time of growth for his people. God's plan is actually working. Everything is from God. He reigns in spite of famines. He reigns in spite of your bad decisions and my bad decisions. He reigns in spite of our sins. He's sovereign. He works all things together for the good, does he not? God had literally compelled Israel to go down into Egypt. Why? So that they would be preserved and prosper and then come out as a great nation. Beautiful plan. So now the final four verses of the chapter, verse 28. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time came, verse 29, when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, and Jacob says, swear to me. And he swore to him. And then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. What a beautiful scene. He wanted to be buried in Canaan. This man is 147 years old. He gets Joseph to swear and promise. He knew that Joseph would never go back on his word. He knew how strong and had much integrity his son had. He knew his yes means yes. But he's desperate. He's desperate that his bones go back to Canaan, go back to the promised land. Jacob, understand, Jacob wasn't fearful that if he was buried in Egypt that somehow he'd be separated from going to heaven, from his eternal reward. He wasn't worried about that. The reason he wants his bones to be buried in Canaan is because it's a declaration of faith in God's promise to Abraham. He's thinking back. Abraham had purchased that tomb, remember, in Machpelah, in Canaan? Abraham bought it, and he bought it in faith. It's really the, the only piece of land that they owned in Canaan in Abraham's time. And he... And Abraham buried Sarah there. And Isaac was buried there. The same thing. (laughs) And now Jacob is saying, I want to be buried there. He's saying, I'm a pilgrim. 
I'm facing death. Bury me there. It's not superstition. He's not being superstitious about this at all. He knows that when he dies, that his soul is going to go immediately with his father's. What I see here is that he wants the symbolism of his burial in the land of Canaan to be known throughout his people. He wants it to stand as a testimony to all of his descendants. What is that testimony? That testimony is that our hope, his hope, his people's hope, his descendants' hope, all of that is not in Egypt or anything that they can offer. Their hope is in the promise of God. Bury me there. And for them, that means the land of Canaan, the promised land. Put my bones there because that's what God promised. And I believe in the promises of God. Do you? Jacob's saying to Joseph, God has promised us the land and the land full of descendants. Now, I don't know if Jacob knew that it was going to be millions going there at some point, but it was. He's promised to, God, he's saying God has promised to prosper us there. He's promised to make us a great nation there. And all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by my seed. That's a promise from God. So don't bury me here. Don't bury me far from that place, that promised land. I'm a pilgrim. I'm a pilgrim in God's hand here. Bury my bones there. Bury my bones in Canaan. It's such a strong declaration of faith and trust in the promises of God. Egypt, at this time of famine, was kind of like what the ark was for Noah. It was a temporary shelter. You notice that the minute the flood was over, they didn't stay in the ark any longer, did they? That's a temporary shelter. There's disaster in the outside world. God gives them shelter prospers them. Hebrews 11 tells us, speaking of Abraham, as well as Isaac and Jacob, he says, verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in the foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, godly foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's where Jacob's head is. That's where Abraham's head was. That's where their hearts were. Our calling, brothers and sisters, our calling as pilgrims is to put our hope in that heavenly city, okay? Not here. This is an ark that you're on right now, okay? Our hope is in the promises of God just as it was for Jacob or Abraham or Isaac or any of them. That's the destination of all the saints. The lesson that Jacob gives us is that we're pilgrims in a strange land, that our sight must be not here, but on the city with foundations designed by God. 
And our hope has to be in the promises of God and nothing else. Amen? I just pray that God enables us to be pilgrims despite all the enticements of this world. To be sojourners with God, as David said, where we set our hope on the place that God has created for us, which is to come much more than earthly blessings or any of that that we could ever obtain on this planet. Just praise God. Your prayer, my prayer must be that we would be pilgrims in the hand of God today and every day, the rest of our lives. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, how you have worked such incredible, miraculous things that we've read about here in the lives of Jacob and Joseph and all of the Israelites and how we can take that and apply it to our own lives, Lord, right now, right here, in this time and in this place. Oh, Lord, how we can trust you and trust your promises and seek you, Lord, and seek your face and go to your word and just all of the things, Lord, that you have provided for us. What an awesome blessing it is to be your child, even in the midst of difficult times. So, Lord, I just pray that by your spirit that you would strengthen us and continually remind us that we have Jesus and that Jesus is all in all and that he reigns on this earth. We praise you and thank you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen. Amen.
Glory to God. I'd like to let the ladies know that on Thursday morning it's in person and on Thursday evening it's on Zoom. So join the ladies and have a wonderful time in the Word of God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you are gracious, merciful, and we belong to you. You have truly made us different, Lord. You have given us an opportunity to serve you that stands us out from the crowd. And Father, we are thankful that we are your pilgrims, that our journey here on this earth is brief, but our time with you is everlasting. So Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you will minister to each and every one under the sound of my voice that Jesus is Lord, and with him there is eternity, there is life in Christ alone. We thank you in Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.